after the Israelites have returned from the Babylonian captivity, uh, and they're living in Jerusalem, uh, and many people have been rebuilding their lives, rebuilding their homes, uh, but yet uh, they have yet to rebuild the temple. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, uh, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And then over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, toward the end, picking up with verse 19. Paul has just talked about how through Jesus Christ, the Jews and the Gentiles have become one, and we are now one family, one body, one flesh. And he writes here, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Amen. Apologies for my voice today. We'll see how I get through everything. So far, so good. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, I've got a couple of stories. These are actually true stories uh, and uh, uh, about families and family life. Uh, and so I want to read a couple of them to you. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, it was a typical noisy dinner at my parents' home, and Dad was having trouble following the conversations. He kept jumping in with off-topic comments and asking for things to be repeated. 
I finally told him he needed to get a hearing aid. Looking at me as if I was crazy, he said, what would I do with a hand grenade? (laughs) Or this one. For a second week in a row, my son and I were the only ones who showed up for his football team's practice. Frustrated, I told him, please tell your coach that we keep coming for practice, but no one is ever here. My son rolled his eyes and said, he'll just tell me the same thing he did before, which was that practice is now on Wednesdays, not Tuesdays. (laughs) Or there was a a young mother with her, her young son, about five, six years old, and had gone down to church. They walked down to the local church, and the local church had a a visiting preacher, a very uh, important preacher in in terms of their denomination. And, uh, and, you know, and and so the son, and this was one of those churches where the kids always stayed in worship, and so the son was kind of bored out of his mind like the, the little boy normally is, but he was there dutifully with his mom. But about halfway through the preacher's long-winded sermon, he, he realized he needed to use the loo. And so he didn't really know where the loo was in this place, so, so he, he asked you know, a neighbor, and, and they said, well, you go down the stairs, and the stairs were at the front close to the pulpit. You walk down those stairs, and, and it's just downstairs behind the, the blackboard. And so the little boy you know, sheepishly got up, and he, he walked quietly down the stairs, and he looked around, and he couldn't find the toilet anywhere. He, he couldn't see it. And so he walked back up the stairs, and during the middle of the pastor's sermon, he says, Preacher, where's the toilet? Now, that was a true story, because I did that. (laughs) That's one of the reasons why I love having kids around, but I tell you, my mom was embarrassed to no end, you know? And that's, you know, it's a really, it's a truth about families, right? Uh, We all have probably had an embarrassing aunt or uncle you know, some member of the family who has a reputation uh, for doing outrageous things. I had an uncle uh, who was always playing jokes uh, on uh, his sons and, and my cousins uh, and doing all kinds of outrageous things. Uh, and, and we, you know, we all have that a bit. People, situations that kind of cause a little bit of embarrassment. And I think a lot of times that's how Christians feel about church. I mean, today, in, in our time, in, in, in the West, certainly in this country, certainly in the United States, it's very popular to put down the church. It's very popular to criticize the church. It's very popular to try to diminish the church, uh, you know, to say, well, you know, you got the kingdom of God, and, and it's out there, and God's doing great things, and then you got the church, and oh, yeah, we all know, you know, the church is like my crazy aunt. Uh, it, it doesn't really do all the stuff it can do, and it's kind of weird, and it's kind of outdated. You know, the aunt, she comes, and she wears mismatched socks and, and clothes that are 40 years out of date and, and smell like mothballs and everything, and, and you know, and so, so a lot of people think of the church in that way. And the church over, uh, really, the last 30, 40, 50 years has been quite diminished and criticized and pushed to the side a little bit as a bit of an embarrassment. And it's often an embarrassment because, as I said last week, we are the kingdom of God, but 
for many people, the church doesn't look like the kingdom of God. I mean, after all, I mean, look at us today. We'd say, well, if we're really the kingdom of God, you know, certainly we'd all be better dressed. We'd all be wealthier. Uh, the building would be fuller. Uh, we'd have, you know, maybe a better worship band, you know, all, all this other stuff. It was the kingdom of God. You know, uh, there would be so many more incredible things happening. At least that's what we put into our minds. And a lot of times we read back into the book of Acts and we actually edit out the embarrassing parts in the book of the uh, the book of Acts, expecting that the church, you know, always got along and always did things well together, uh, and and was just this one big happy family. But if you really read the Bible, you find that from the beginning that was not so. From the beginning, there was always parts of the church that were a bit of an embarrassment, where people kind of diminished the church or. Or, or, or didn't want it to be as prominent uh, because uh, it, it didn't contain the wealthiest people in society. And many, most churches uh, consisted of a lot of poorer people, people who were struggling. Uh, there were many slaves that were in the church. Uh, there were many people who were not the best or the brightest or the cream of the crop or the top of society, uh, but they were ordinary people sometimes very poor people, sometimes very struggling people, sometimes very awkward people who were not educated, who did not have the best of manners, who did not have the best way of doing things. And the temptation was to kind of treat the church as a bit of an embarrassment. But that is not what we are. We really are the kingdom of God as the church, as the body of Christ. But we are not the totality of the kingdom. The kingdom is never less than the church, but it is always a bit more than the church, but it always includes the one true church of Jesus Christ, and we're just one part of the church as the kingdom. That includes the church all around the globe. We are the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God goes beyond us. In the same way, we are a manifestation of the kingdom of God. As I said last week, the very, our very presence in society is a sign, is a demonstration that Jesus Christ is king and there are people who live by a different set of rules, a different set of standards, who live in accordance with an allegiance to a different kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. The fact that we've gathered together, that we worship Jesus, all of this demonstrates that we are indeed a manifestation of the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom has other manifestations, to be sure. Healing the sick, casting out demons, people coming to faith in Christ, the good news being preached to the poor, all of these things as well are manifestations of the kingdom of God. We are a manifestation of the kingdom, but we want to see God's kingdom manifested in every area of life. We are a manifestation of the kingdom, but I want to see the kingdom of God in our government. I want to see the kingdom of God in our media. I want to see the kingdom of God in our finances. 
Now the challenge is, it will never be there until Jesus comes again, but that doesn't mean that we don't strive for it, that we don't go after it, all the while realizing that we are the primary fundamental manifestation of the kingdom of God. But we are not the totality of it. It's interesting, if you look at the words of Jesus, when we started this whole series, we looked at Jesus' first sermon, which was the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. So Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is around us. And yet, Jesus also taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As long as we're in this world, we're always going to live into a tension between the kingdom that is already here and the kingdom that is not yet here in its fullness. And as the church, we are already a manifestation of the kingdom. We are already the kingdom, but we are not and we will never be the kingdom in its fullness until Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again, that's when we are taken up and we're given our new, our new heavenly, uh, our new bodies. That's when we are set free completely from the power of sin. That's when we join him fully in ruling and reigning on the earth alongside of him. That is happening, that will happen, but it will not happen fully until Jesus is here present with us again. And so in the meantime, we're always going to live in tension. We're always going to live with a little bit of embarrassment, with a little bit of the reality that we don't live up to the standards we want to live up to. We don't look like the people we want to look like. We don't heal every sickness. We don't see uh, every person completely set free. We're in a life of tension, in a world of tension, but that does not diminish the reality of who we are as the kingdom of God. And the church, we are the kingdom. We're just not the kingdom in all its fullness. We are a manifestation of the kingdom, but we are not the only manifestation of the kingdom. Every church gathered on this day everywhere around the world is also a manifestation of the kingdom as long as it's gathered with its only allegiance to the king, Jesus. Now, it would take too long to get into, but obviously there are some churches that are not genuine churches of Jesus Christ. There are some people who call themselves churches that have gathered in the world today, but the name Jesus will not even be mentioned. They're nothing more really than secular humanistic societies that meet under the banner of church, but we won't quite get into that. For now, let's just talk about the genuine reality that is the church of Jesus Christ. And so we must constantly fight against this temptation to be embarrassed by what we're not. We must constantly fight against this temptation to say, to, to discount the church because we're so small, because we struggle, because we don't have lots of money, because we don't have this or we don't have that, because not every sickness is healed, uh, because not every person is saved, whatever it is. We must constantly war against the tactic of Satan to diminish us, to undermine us, and to 
weaken us and disempower us as the church, the manifestation of God's kingdom right here in London, right here in our part of the city. And to do that, we need to understand our reality as the church. Who are we really? Who are we really? And that's what Paul is trying to deal with here in the passage that we read from Ephesians. And he tells us a number of things. He tells us that we are no longer strangers and aliens to God, to the life of God in Jesus Christ. We're not separated from that. We are a part of that. He tells us that we are citizens of the kingdom. And we are saints. That's who we are now. It's a bit like me. Uh, even though I live here in London, I've been here in London for 18 years. I've ministered in London longer than I ministered in the United States. I'm still a citizen of the United States. But I don't live in the United States but I'm still a citizen of the United States. In the same way, we are citizens of God's kingdom. The difference is that we're actually living in the reality of the kingdom because the kingdom is here. It's a bit like if I went and stayed in the embassy of the United States and lived there. You know, I'm on kingdom territory. I'm on U.S. territory, even though I'm in the United Kingdom. When we're gathered here in this place, we're on kingdom territory. The not the United Kingdom territory, but we're on the King Jesus territory. We're, kingdom, we're, we're citizens of this kingdom, and we are saints. We are holy ones. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of days I don't look very holy, but the way I look doesn't change my reality. You know, I imagine uh, that uh, the uh, uh, Duke and Duchess of Sussex, when they get up in the morning, get out of bed, they don't look very much like the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Takes a little preparation, but the fact that they don't look like the Duke and Duchess of Sussex doesn't change the fact that they are indeed the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And we need to understand this, and we need to embrace this, and we need to realize, Paul tells us, that we are members of God's household. Now that word household is kind of got a, a dual meaning there, it's we're members of God's household or we're members of God's house. So it's talking about the structure as well as the fact that we're brothers and sisters. We're part of the house as well as members of the house. And that becomes clear as you go down in the text there. So that's who we are right now. We are the house of God. When we gather together, we gather together as the house of God, as the household of God. That is our reality in this very moment. And because of that, our foundation is on the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. He's the key part of our foundation, but also everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, all the apostles, prophets, all, we're built on that foundation, on the reality of what Jesus has done, as well as the reality of who Jesus is. And Paul goes on to tell us that we are joined together as a structure to grow into the Lord's temple. Now this is telling us here that we are a visible sign of God's presence in the city. We are a visible sign. I did a podcast uh, this a uh, couple of days ago with somebody 
who was doing podcasts on all the different churches in the in the city, and uh, and and she asked me, well, why did you know why did Joseph Parker want to be here? You know what's so significant about this building? And I said, well, he wanted to lift up the cross of Christ over the city. And our church has the cross on the top. Uh, unlike many churches that have a weather vane, we have a cross. And the purpose of that is that we are a visible sign of the kingdom reality in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is king. And God is building us together, according uh, to Paul. God has joined us together so that we grow into the reality of this visible sign of God's kingdom. The more we exist, the more we work together, the more we, we minister together, the more we become that visible sign of God's kingdom. Paul also tells us that we are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, this is the nuance here is slightly different. In the first, we're a visible sign of God's kingdom, but in this one, by the Spirit, we are agents of the advancement of God's kingdom. God, we are to be a dwelling place for God so that when people come in, when people encounter us, they say, God's presence is here. One of the really cool things about City Temple uh, over the years, I cannot tell you the number of people who've walked in, maybe spent some time in the prayer room, maybe come here uh, as part of a ministry, and they say, wow, I really sense God's presence here. I know God's really here. And I say, yeah, I know. Well, I don't usually say that, because that sounds more like, yeah, you know, tell me something I don't know. You know so I just try not to be arrogant about it. I say, oh, really? Oh, thanks for that encouragement. So, but I, you know, I'm thinking on the inside, yeah, I know this. Because that's what God is doing us. He's building us together as a dwelling place for him by the Spirit so that we together will advance his kingdom into the world around us. And that's the twofold reality that comes out of us being saints, citizens of the kingdom, members of God's household. We are being joined together to be a visible sign of God's kingdom reality in Christ Jesus, and we are being built together so that together we can manifest the kingdom of God, we can fulfill the prayer of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's supposed to happen in and through us, and that is the reality. Excuse me. And all of this happens by the Holy Spirit. It's really key to note here that in the language of Paul, uh, these things are being done to us. They're not being done by us. The Holy Spirit is joining us together to be a visible sign. The Holy Spirit is building us together. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hopefully nobody heard that on the tape. The Holy Spirit is building us together to advance his kingdom. So the question comes, why don't we see this more? Why don't we experience it more? Even though this is something the Holy Spirit is doing, do we have a responsibility here? And certainly our responsibility is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. 
And certainly there's a lot of churches in the world who simply are not doing that. We might ask why the church, and not this, this church, but churches generally, why churches generally are not more clearly showing themselves as a manifestation of the rulership of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is king, and being agents of the advancement of God's kingdom. And that's where I think the text from Haggai begins to speak to the church today. Now clearly, Haggai wasn't written, the prophecy wasn't given to the church of Jesus Christ. It was given to the Israelites as they returned from the Babylonian captivity. However, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that the Old Testament examples were given to us so that we might learn from them. They were given to us to teach us and train us. So what can we learn from the prophetic word that came there to Haggai? What is our responsibility as citizens of the kingdom, as members of God's house? We've seen our reality but what is our responsibility in that sense? Very simply, our responsibility together is that we must share in the building of the house of the Lord. We have a responsibility. It's like what Paul said to the Ephesians a bit later in, in chapter 4. He said that you know God's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So the kingdom might be built up. That is our responsibility. We don't do all of the building, but we share in that responsibility. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the work that he is doing. And so Haggai gives us a warning here. He tells us that we must not neglect working on God's house while we build our own houses. You know, it's really popular today uh, for people to say, well, you know, again, the church is kind of pushed to the sidelines, so the really important thing is that you got to work on your relationship with Jesus independently of the church. That's the implication. Work on your relationship with Jesus, then work on your relationship with your family, and then you work on, your, uh, on the church. As if the three of those are totally distinct and isolated realities. And in that kind of economy then, people say, well, then you, you need to put your family over your church. And there's a little bit of truth to that. If you're talking about an organization that is, you know, uh, just a, an, an empty structure, if, if you will. Yeah, your family is more important. But in the kingdom reality, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with our family, and our relationship with the church is connected. These are not separate realities. These are connected realities. And we need to understand how they are connected. You don't grow in Jesus, for example. You don't grow in intimacy of, in, with Jesus apart from the body of Christ. You cannot be a mature Christian in isolation from the church of Jesus Christ. It is impossible. It is impossible. There's no such thing as a mature individual Christian who is in isolation 
to the church as the body of Christ. You can't have a healthy family without your connection to Jesus and without your connection with other Christians. It's the primary responsibility of a mom and a dad to disciple their children, but it's also the responsibility of the church to help in that discipleship. Mom and dad alone are not enough. It will not happen without mom and dad. And one of the great failings, I think, of Western Christianity over the last 50 years is we've isolated mom and dad We've isolated things like what, what was called family worship where families would pray together and read scripture together and, and fathers would teach their children how to follow Jesus and teach them about Jesus. And we said, okay, we'll just, we'll, we'll just delegate that to the church and let the church do that. You can't do that. You need to take responsibility as mom and dad for the discipleship of your kid. At the same time, you cannot say, well, if we just do everything right as mom and dad and disciple our kids, then we don't need the church. You need the church. All of these things are connected in the kingdom of God in the reality of the body of Christ. And we have to understand that. And that's the context that Haggai, the God, God is speaking through Haggai into there in Israel. But it's also the context that we live in. It is the biblical reality. So what do we do? Well, Haggai then, he makes a warning. He says, you cannot neglect God's house while you just work on your own house. Think, if I just keep my own house in order, then, you know, the church will take care of itself. And there are consequences, he says, personal consequences. Uh, you, you will sow much, but you'll harvest little. It seems like you work really hard in your life and, and it seems like you do a lot of great stuff, but you don't have many results from it. Uh, you eat and drink, but you're not satisfied. There's a dissatisfaction in life that comes if you just work in your own house. You have clothes, but you're not warm. In other words, you, know, you're, you seem to be taking care of yourself, but at the same time, you feel kind of exposed and isolated and on your own. You earn money, but it seems to waste away. That all the stuff that you do get and all the produce that you do have just doesn't really seem to come to much. Now these things, these consequences, uh, can be understood both literally and also spiritually in our lives. They have a spiritual application. And so many times, if we are part of the church, if we are Christians, but we're working just on our own little house, and we're not working to build up the house of God, then these things happen. We don't have much of a harvest. We don't have much satisfaction. Uh, we, we seem to be exposed. And what we do have just seems to waste away. There's personal consequences. So what do we do? Well, he says, go up in the mountains and get some wood and come down and build the house of God. We'd say this, we need to make an effort to build God's house so that God is pleased with it and glorified through it. We all have a responsibility to give it our best effort. And the implication here is you, if you have to go up and get wood, it's not like something that's just around you and it's always going to be convenient. 
It takes effort, it takes energy, it takes sacrifice, it takes commitment, and you need to make this, uh, the commitment, have the energy to work on, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, cooperate with other believers, to build up God's house, and the goal of building God's house is very important. It's not so that you feel good about being a church member. It's not so that the church becomes the church that you want it to be. It's not so that the church meets your felt needs. The purpose here is so that the church brings pleasure to God and God is glorified through it. At the end of the day, our question is, God, are you happy with us? And if you're not happy with us, what do we need to do? Just like at the, when I stand before Jesus, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. When we stand before Jesus as this part of the body of Christ, we want to hear Jesus say, hey guys, you did a great job together. I was really pleased with what you did. The interesting thing here is that Jesus is not always pleased with what people are pleased with. If we've got a great worship band, that doesn't mean Jesus is happy. If this building was full, doesn't mean Jesus is pleased with us. We need to really be seeking the Lord. And what does it mean that Jesus is pleased with us? It might be that we've been faithful to be good stewards over what he has given us. And we've worked together to do our best with the resources he's given us. Maybe he looks at us. And is pleased with that. You know, Jesus said, the last will be first and the first will be last. And I think there's going to be a lot of really large churches that at the end of the day, Jesus is not very happy with. And a number of quite small churches that Jesus says, hey, I really like you guys. I'm really pleased here. So we need to make an effort to build up God's house together so that God is pleased and God is glorified. So that we are the manifestation of God's kingdom and so that we are the advancement of God's kingdom. And God is not happy if the church lies in ruins while everybody works on their own house. And not only are there personal consequences, I think Haggai here is telling us that there are corporate consequences. So what are the corporate consequences? We expect much, but get little, and what little we have seems to blow away. We have great expectations, but they never seem to amount to what we want. And even what little we have seems to blow away. That can be an indicator that together we're not building up God's house. We don't receive the heavenly blessings, the dew from heaven. That's the heavenly blessing. We're looking for heavenly blessings, but they don't come. We don't have fruitful produce. We don't really produce fruit. Produce fruit that lasts. We experience a spiritual drought where we're struggling and thirsty and hungry. And these indicators are sometimes indicators that we are not corporately working alongside the Holy Spirit in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to build the house of God. 
It's important to understand here, we're not talking about a works kind of righteousness, and we're certainly not talking about if we do X, Y, and Z, then God is going to do this for us. That kind of transactional relationship with God is not biblical. It is actually a prostituting of our relationship with God. If we think we can pay God with some kind of sacrifice so that God does something for us, That's how men treat prostitutes. And we must not treat God that way because that's not our reality. But we must take this very, very seriously. So what do we do? I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, even though this is a corporate responsibility, you cannot take responsibility for other people. You can only take responsibility for yourself. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing that uh, Haggai says here, it's very important. He says, consider your ways. Each of us needs to look at our own ways. We each need to look at our own lives, to look at our own family and say, are my priorities right? Am I in the right place? And if you ask God, God will tell you. What I found so often in my ministry uh, over the years, what I found is that some people who shouldn't feel guilty always do feel guilty, and some people who don't feel guilty probably most of the time should feel guilty. Uh, So you really need to seek the Lord on this. Uh, You can't just guess around it, but be confident if you ask the Lord, he will tell you. He will tell you. Second thing, we need to always remember as we consider our ways that we all have two sets of responsibilities in the house of God. Two sets of responsibilities. We all have household chores and we all have part of the household business. Household chores are doing those things that just keep the house running. You know, in in my house, I do the laundry. Uh, Karen uh, and I help load the dishwasher sometimes. Karen unloads the dishwasher. Uh, We have certain chores that we do, whether we like it or not, and it doesn't take any special gifting, calling, or anointing to do the chores. You know, in in the church, we all have chores we can do. I mean, after lunch today, dishes need to be washed. Everybody can wash dishes. There are very few people I've met in the world that cannot wash dishes. You know, and if you think, oh, well, I don't want to mess up my hands, Well, Feli has good news for you. She has rubber gloves. And you can preserve that lovely manicure that you just paid a lot of money for, guys. You know, you 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 all assumed it was girls that paid the manicure, but I know some of the guys, they do that too. You know, so we all have household chores that need to be done. And the household chores, they're not our ministry. There are chores that we need to do. But we all have a part in the business of God's house. The business of God's house is manifesting the kingdom and advancing the kingdom. And so what has God called you to do? He might have called you to pray for the sick. He might call you to be part of freedom in Christ uh, in in that kind of ministry. Uh, He might call you to be part of the worship team. He might call you to be an elder or a deacon. There's so many different ways that you can serve. He might call you to start a ministry, maybe a ministry to the poor or an evangelistic ministry. But you need to be seeking and saying, God, what are you calling me to do 
in my life, what are my responsibilities, what are my household, the, the household business that I need to be involved in and make sure that you're involved in the household business. So we have to be considering our ways, we need to be doing our chores and engaging in the household business both as a matter of priority, not as something we do when we feel like it. And third, we must be cooperating. We must be working together first with the Holy Spirit and second with one another. First with the Holy Spirit, second with one another. And those two things go together. They are not separate. I can't tell you over the years the number of times somebody's come up to me and said, the Holy Spirit's told me that I'm going to be the worship leader in this church. And I say, well, that's nice. It's good to have you here today. I notice it's your first time uh, in the church. Uh, maybe, you know, you should spend some time learning the worship team. You can come along, you know, come to church for three months and then come and, and sit in on some practices with the team. And then we'll consider, you know, maybe have you sing or do something like that. And I never see them again. You know, and people can you know, complain, well, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you're violating the Holy Spirit, or something like that. No, you're not. The Holy Spirit, when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, He always leads us to cooperate with one another to do our chores and to fulfill our ministry. Consider our ways, take up our responsibilities, and cooperate. And as we do, we make it a priority to build up God's house. And there is personal blessing and corporate blessing that comes to us. And it all comes through Jesus Christ. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, it is a reminder to us that we are part of God's family. That we are part of God's kingdom. And this, this meal, this bread, this cup is open to anyone who names Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their lives, that they can come and they can share. I'd like to ask Olashina and Kup, if you guys would come up, I want to I distribute the bread and the cup today rather than having people come forward because it's a sign of our unity. What we will do today, I'll bless the bread and the cup, then we'll pass out the bread and everybody holds it until everybody's served and then we'll eat together and we'll do that with the cup. And we're doing that because it's a sign of our unity. It's a sign of our oneness. It's a sign of our cooperation together in all that Jesus has for us to do. And this is a reality. Every time we eat this bread and drink the cup, we declare Jesus is king, and we are citizens of his kingdom and members of his household, redeemed by his blood and covered with his love. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for calling us together. Father, I pray that you'd help each of us consider our ways, take up our responsibilities, and cooperate so that we will be a manifestation of your kingdom as well as agents of your kingdom advancement. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless this bread and the cup that they might be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ broken and shed for us, uniting us in that one reality of Jesus as King and the one family of God, the one household of God, the one body of Christ. 
Use them to strengthen our faith and to reestablish us in truth. We love you. We honor you. We worship you and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen.